0: beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Kristy Knuckles. Happy July to you. I know for many of you, this isn't at all the summer that you planned, so happy adjusting to the summer of 2020, whatever that might look like for you. My family was supposed to be heading to the beach for much of this month. If you attended our Christmas tour this past year, you'll remember that our sponsor was Blue Skies Ministries an organization that provides beach retreats for families who are battling pediatric cancer. Our ask on the tour was actually an invite to you to come and join us at camp to actually get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these families. Well, as you can imagine, Blue Skies has had to adjust big time as well as all of us have. As of this moment, they are still allowing some of these families to get to come to the beach for a vacation and are providing just enough volunteers to make arrangements for the families to relax and breathe a little. But we won't be going because we cannot meet together in a group for worship or for meals. So Nathan and I did pre-record worship times for each day that will be paired with a pastor bringing a message to these families about the hope and the love of Jesus. And we also pre-recorded what we call sweet dreams for each night, which when we're at camp, this is our nightly afterglow type moment when the day is done. We gather close and we pray, and we end the day with some lullabies. The same lullabies that you might remember were mostly written at Blue Skies several summers ago. I do want to bring attention to the fact that Blue Skies is in need of resources this summer. They might not can have all the volunteers that they were wanting and all the families they were wanting to be able to gather, but you can still help and you will bless them more than you even know. They're looking for 750 people to be in their SPF club this summer, a supporter, partner, and friend by giving $100. $100 is so doable. In fact, I'll be giving online today. And this is going to go towards getting to share the love of Jesus with these families by housing and hosting them so that they can get away together this summer to be able to forget the troubles of this world and be lifted above the clouds of childhood cancer, even just for a week. If you'd like to give, you can go to blueskiesministries.org and simply hit the donate button. I promise they won't hound you with emails afterward, but I do hope you'll stay connected with what they're doing so that maybe next summer, we might all can actually end up at a beach retreat together, which would be a blast. Well, our family did get to get away on our June vacation that we've done for the past three summers now with some dear family friends. We booked our plane tickets with open hands and hearts, knowing that at any moment, the whole thing could just get shut down. Friends in town kept asking me, are you so excited about Lost Valley? And I just kept saying to them, I'll believe it when I'm standing there. And that's what happened. When we pulled in, the kids jumped out of the car to run and find their friends. Nathan went to check us in. And I just walked alone for a few minutes, just looking up from that valley at the surrounding majesty of the Colorado mountains, and tears welled up in my eyes as I just whispered out to the Lord, I believe it. Thank you. Lost Valley Ranch did have to make several adjustments to comply with COVID restrictions, but I think all of us were just so grateful to just be there that we were able to just look past all of it. And before we knew it, we were completely able to forget everything that was going on on the other side of the cattle guard. And we were able just to remember together that we are held together by the same God who created the breathtaking creation all around us. I will never forget a moment that Nathan and Ellie and I had on one of our favorite rides, which is called the breakfast ride. You ride up about an hour up to this giant rock, and there a hot breakfast is waiting for you. And by hot breakfast, I mean pancakes cooked on a cast iron skillet on an open fire. They're the kind of pancakes that have like the crispy edges, and then they melt in your mouth at the same time. We had scrambled eggs, hash browns. Crispy bacon, and then you get to take your plate and eat out on the side of this mountain and drink coffee with your family and friends as the sunrise performs a morning light show with the clouds and the mountain peaks on the horizon. It is glorious. Later, you get to ride over to one of the highest peaks that surrounds the ranch, and you get to tie your horse up to a tree. And then you get to start climbing this massive rock that looks down into a valley with the most beautiful stream running through it. And you're so high at this point. It's hard to explain, but you're so high that the valley below literally looks like CGI in a movie. Like, it's not real. You have to remind yourself that you're not at an amusement park that is trying to simulate this kind of experience. You are actually on that mountain, looking down onto the perfection of a mastermind creator. Nate and Ellie and I found a spot where we could just sit by ourselves for a minute. I think Nate's okay with me telling you that for most of it, he pretty much sat there and wept. And just speaking for myself, I know as a parent, I've just felt this enormous pressure inside of the cultural landscape that we're all navigating to somehow be a rock for my kids, to be a sense of stability for them, just to keep them grounded during all of this. But that moment for me was a massive moment of remembrance that I'm not holding anything together. None of us are. This was said a few times at the ranch that week. We are being held. It was such a gift to be able to look out on that valley with lush green grass and running water and pine trees towering overhead with bears and birds out there finding everything they need day by day. And we got to eavesdrop on this corner of the world, completely untouched by man, and it is lacking nothing. It was almost like I could see all of us in this beautiful storybook, you included, where not only are we being held by Jesus, the beginning and the end, the aleph and the tab, but in that place of being held, we were created to be like this corner of the world we were getting to peer in on in that moment— You and I were created to billow with growth, to thrive like that stream, to flourish like those trees out from the God who made us. And because of Him, we were made to lack nothing and to be all together in that abundance, being who we were created to be. And get this, we are the choice treasure of His creation, of all that. James 1, 16 through 18 says this, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession." Even if you don't end up at your favorite vacation spot this summer, I hope that somehow, even if it's just camping alongside a lake or in your backyard somewhere, that you and your family will be reminded of how you were made to flourish. Even without the structures and small kingdoms of what man can build, you were made to thrive and be alive to who God made you to be. As I sat down to begin studying for this episode, I found myself wanting to remember why the Lord first drew me to Psalm 119, especially for such a time as this. I recalled our dear friend, Christopher Ashe, who I've never met, but I hope I get to maybe meet someday. He said this, this Psalm opens for us a window into a world where the people of God love the Word of God. It invites us not just to look in through the window as into a strange world, but to climb in to enter this world and live in it as we too sing the psalm. He continues, so as we read, let us ask ourselves these three questions. Remember, do I understand it? Can I feel it? Am I willing to sing it? Let's remember together too that depending on your translation, there are what we've called word words that repeat over and over in this chapter. And those words are law rules, instruction, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, and word. And it changes everything for us, doesn't it, when we remember that these word words are connected to something that's completely life-changing for us. These word words are actually covenant words, a covenant whose main narrative is, you will be my people and I will be your God. If you'll remember, these word words are two directional words whose first direction is grace, and only under grace do they call us to walk in the way of the word. These are words that create and sustain relationship. They are where we are held. We're gonna hear these same word words again today, so I think it's just imperative that we just remember again that God's judgments are not Him slamming a hammer down on us today. His judgments are His decisions as a righteous judge, and they express the way that He runs the world. He is running the world, by the way. It's the same for His rules. These are decisions He makes that are favorable towards His own, even when we don't understand His decisions. He loves us, and His grace has always been at the forefront of His mind and His heart when it comes to us. Today, we're going to hear the words preception statutes. So let's remember that God's precepts aren't a list of rules. It's not to keep us boxed in, but instead there are words given by someone with authority, and in God's case, ultimate authority. And these words are both for our freedom and our protection. His statutes mean that His words have binding force and permanence to them. This means what He says stays. It holds. It means that We are who He says we are, and that we can do what He says that we can do. I have to say that I have so much respect, and I'm personally so inspired by the psalmist, who I do believe is David, and how by the Holy Spirit's divine leadership, he has woven in these Hebrew letters that we've gotten to discover together with each section of this enormous acrostic. Today, our Hebrew letter is the word Tate. This letter is another one that is paradoxical in its meaning as it represents actually both good and evil at the same time, showing the two possibilities of man, as in mankind. The parts of the letter Tate are made up of our previous letters, Vav and Zion. If you look at the letter that Ellie painted for us, you can actually see that on one hand, it looks a little bit like a serpent with a head and a tail. This obviously would represent evil. And then in direct contrast, we can see that the letter also depicts good. And this is shown by the Vav bowing down in submission to the Zion. If you'll remember, the letter Vav represents man and the letter Zion represents the crown man with the sword of the spirit. So if you look at that letter again, you can see that the head is actually Christ and the tail is man bowing down to Christ. This displays our choice to surrender and bow down to the Lordship of Christ. John J. Parsons from hebrewforchristians.com says this, When a man is bowed down before the crown man, taking upon himself Christ's yoke, then his soul is subject to the discipline of the Lord, but also the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. This man will also die to himself and all that is outside the yoke of Christ— which is what Jesus called us to in Luke nine twenty three and 24 when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. John Parsons also says, in short, how the tate will be represented depends upon our personal decision to give our lives to Jesus and be yoked together with him. He lays out Deuteronomy 30, 19, which says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Today, I'm going to read our verses from Christopher Ash's interpretation of this passage because it shows us how, if we're able to read this passage in Hebrew, we could find that many of the verses actually begin with our Hebrew letter, Tate, which overall does mean good. I think this draws us to consider again together that, first of all, God is good. No matter what 2020 has brought us or brings with it still, God is good. Also, His judgments and commandments are good. His statutes and precepts are good. And we get to experience the goodness of God in its fullness when we surrender to God. However, and here lies the crux of today's episode, God is good even in adversity and affliction. And we can also actually experience specifically His goodness in adversity and affliction. In fact, Christopher Ashe presents here in response to this section of the psalm what he calls the gospel of adversity, as opposed to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, you might know in one way or another, essentially teaches that in following God, you'll begin to experience the blessings of God particularly by way of health and wealth. And the main message is that God somehow desires to bring increase and abundance into your life by way of causing your circumstances to change for the better. Do I believe that God wants us to be happy and whole and receive all of His blessings? Of course. We mentioned before that in bowing to God, we get to experience the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, His love, His joy, His peace, His patience. His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness, and His self-control. I guess that was what was so magnificent about being on top of that mountain and peering down into that valley that morning. I'm realizing it even now, that we can experience all of these things, His joy, His peace, His patience, His goodness, the fruit of His Spirit, even if we were just dropped down into that valley with nothing but the clothes on our back. We could experience the goodness of God, heart, and soul. God's abundance has never been and never will be limited to our circumstances getting better or our bank account growing or the little kingdoms that we are building growing taller. The trueness of the gospel is that it has to work in every economy. This is why Christopher's proposing here the gospel of adversity, because who among us is not acquainted with or will be acquainted at some point or another with affliction and adversity. He says this, So far in this psalm, two tunes or themes have played. One is the delight the singer has in the word of God because it promises him a glorious future. The other is the theme of suffering. For instance, he calls himself a sojourner in verse 19. That's someone who's just a temporary resident of, kind of everywhere. They find themselves a foreigner much of the time, or kind of from the outside looking in. He tells us that he is someone who suffers scorn and contempt in verse 22. He suffers princes plotting against him in verse 23. He tells us that his soul clings to the dust in verse 25. He sings about being taunted in verse 42, and yet with a measure of comfort and affliction in verse 50. Christopher goes on to point out, that in this section, the singer does something hugely significant. He plays both tunes together and shows us how they harmonize, delighting in the hope of God's Word, but also experiencing the gift that affliction and adversity can actually be for the people of God. As I shared earlier, the key word for this section of Psalm 119 is good and is displayed in our Hebrew letter Tate. Christopher shows us that the singer begins five of the eight verses here with this word good. So we have the goodness of God and His Word held together with the fact that sometimes God's good to us comes in the form of adversity and affliction. And how we respond in adversity and affliction has everything to do with us walking in the way of the Lord. Remember, the way that good is displayed in the heart of a man, even through just studying this letter we've seen, it's through our surrender and our bowing to Christ and the way that He does life. This is the word of the Lord over us today, Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. Well, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Good judgment and knowledge teach me, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your promise. Good you are, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but I with my whole heart keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your instruction. Good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Good for me the instruction of your mouth, more than thousands of gold and silver pieces. It's interesting, as I read that passage Suddenly the psalmist's words don't sound as pious as they used to when I'd skim through Psalm 119, as I'd see him declaring things like, but I delight in your instruction. Now that I feel as if I know this singer a little better at heart, so much that I've allowed him to lead me in worship, I see that these are not prideful declarations, but humble cries from a heart that has seen affliction and adversity and has even more important, allowed himself to be schooled by the Lord, taught and disciplined by suffering. I remember well as I was writing my book that I reached this place where it was a time to kind of start talking about how living from the bullseye truly changed the trajectory of my life, and it did. But one thing it didn't change or make me immune to was affliction and adversity. In fact, I was shocked to discover that it's ended up being one of the main common threads throughout my entire story. And to think that we are all acquainted with affliction and adversity. If we weren't before, we are now. So it encourages me as I read this passage of Psalm 119, and I hope it encourages you, how we might be unified even through suffering, even through these hard unexplainable, unprecedented seasons and things just not going how we planned. And not only can we be unified in them, but strengthened by them. And it can even be a place of rich, beautiful growth and flourishing in our lives as we can actually receive from God in these moments in a way that we might not be able to any other way. The whole middle section of the book is dedicated to us spending time in God's dream of the community of the beloved. How living from our belovedness changes the way that we see each other. And I use the concept of singing over each other as a way of contending for the belovedness of others. And I guess I just found it so loving of God that one of the ways that He also unites us is something that we are all acquainted with. It's not something that only an elite group of people can experience, it's something that a farmer in India who has just had his crops destroyed by these swarms of locusts, all the way to a young woman who I just exchanged words and prayers with recently who lost her dad to COVID-19. What a comfort that God would see fit, that He could still unite us in some of the hardest seasons of our lives. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. I, mean, I believe that God can also unite us around some of the grandest and loveliest seasons and moments of our lives. And I believe more of that's coming, but I believe what the psalmist through the Holy Spirit is reminding us today is that the promises and the goodness of God are available to all who will surrender their lives to His way, and that regardless of our circumstances, we can experience a holy harvest of the fruit of the Spirit that only comes from walking in His way it's not an earthly outward harvest, but an inward delight in God and the freedom that is found within the boundaries of His Word. Beloved, what we are currently experiencing, even in the midst of everything this year has brought, what if we are experiencing the goodness of God? What if part of our challenge as the church is to see His goodness in all of this affliction and adversity? Verse 65 says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The psalmist is clearly singing a song here that says that affliction changed him for his good, that now he no longer goes astray and he keeps God's word. That's transformational. Transformation that causes him to declare, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. This is almost as if he's saying, Keep the transformation coming, Lord, because all in all, I see that you're good and that you do good no matter my circumstances. The psalmist, deep into what could be the bridge or the last chorus of this song, he bellows out in verse 71 and 72. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This part of the song proves that the gospel of adversity brings with it a treasure that is better than anything that this life could offer us. There's no amount that our bank account could grow to that would satisfy like the treasure of God and His word, which is His very song over us. It's worth noting here that part of the affliction and adversity that the psalmist is experiencing here is because of his faithfulness and loyalty to God's word. We see it in verse 69 The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Beloved, these days I believe are a wake up call to the days ahead when I believe that you and I will be more and more afflicted and experience adversity for our stance. And upholding the word of God as the authority over our lives. These are the days to press in even more to God's word and protecting our time with him in his presence. These are the moments that will train us for what is ahead and keep us from having hearts that are unfeeling like fat, like verse 70 says Christopher Ashton calls these hearts gross. But rather, even in affliction, and adversity, we can grow hearts who learn to delight in the way of the Lord, hearts that are alive and healthy and strong. I try not just to straight up read stuff from authors, but this was so good. I had to share what Christopher Ash says in Bible Delight. This is page 98, where he's talking about this affliction and how it can grow in us, a heart that walks in the way of the Lord. It is precisely because the singer has been afflicted that he can testify, good you are, and you do good. On that basis of the proven goodness of the Lord, he prays again, teach me your statutes. That is, go on afflicting me whenever and wherever necessary to keep me walking your way. Teach me, train me, mentor me to walk in your statutes because if you don't afflict me, I will never learn. How does this logic work? It is not that affliction improves the intellect or sharpens the concentration. Very often it does the opposite and leaves us feeling numb and empty. Rather, it is that affliction from the world brings deeply home to me where I do and do not belong. When the world is nice to me, I drift into thinking how good it would be to belong to that nice, comfortable, flattering world. John Barrage, an 18th-century minister in Bedfordshire, wrote, A Christian never falls asleep in the fire or in the water, but grows drowsy in the meantime. We scarcely know how to turn our backs on admiration, though it comes from the vain world, yet a kick from the world does believers less harm than a kiss. When the world kicks me, then I know I do not belong to it. Too often we pray for members of our families that they would be happy. We ought rather to pray that they would be holy, and therefore to pray that as— And when necessary, they would be afflicted in order that they and we might be godly. For I will only really deeply learn to walk the way of the word when the world afflicts me. These are tough love kind of prayers, praying that we and our households and our loved ones and our friends would be wholly over happy. But I think the point of God's covenant narrative all along, in fact, I know that we would be His people and that He would be our God. The narrative all along is that our truest, fullest happiness is found when we walk in the way of the Lord. It's always been there for the taking. I can truly attest to this. It's a comfort and a contentment like I've never known. Not a contentment that has me laying on a couch with candles all day, sipping tea, which, you know, we need those days every once in a while. But instead, it's a flourishing contentment, a treasure that has us contending for things that we maybe never have before. Contending for things like even finding the goodness of God in the year 2020, tracking it down, uncovering it with every tear and every heartache, showing it to each other, saying, look at this, even this. Is the goodness of God and helping each other remember it and letting it transform us completely. First Peter four one and two says this, and this is powerful. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has seized from sin. What could this possibly mean for us? It's not that we actually begin to live a sinless, perfect life. It's more that affliction has the ability for this transformation that we've been talking about, where we are no longer consumed with human passions and the little kingdoms that we're building, but instead we are consumed with loving God and loving what He loves and hating the sin He hates where we're not just seeking the blessings of God and our happiness in it, which let's face it, what we'd normally define as blessings are a little bit hard to find in this moment. But what if the true blessing was also found in us being willing to suffer with Christ in a way that causes us to begin to completely direct our entire life towards walking firmly in the way of God, that narrow path we've talked about before, I hope that this brings you to the top of a mountain looking down at the landscape of this cultural moment with a brand new perspective. That not only can we all be together in this affliction and adversity, but we can even in this experience the goodness of God. A transformation that changes the very trajectory of our lives and that causes a new determination and fixation on the way of the Lord. And may we posture ourselves like Our Hebrew letter today, Tate, bowing our lives to the crowned man who is Jesus, delivering ourselves over to His discipline, yes, but also to His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, and His self-control. In these things, I simply see no lack. What more could we possibly need? I'll talk to you soon.